Back in 1996, I was living in Terre Haute, Indiana. I've told the story a few times, uh, at least once, uh, but in case you've never heard it before, this is how I was called into ministry. Back in 1996, I was living in Terre Haute, Indiana. I had been a student at Indiana State University, uh, had dropped out of college, was working two jobs at the Outback Steakhouse and Radio Shack, and I was lost. Uh, Like I said, I dropped out of college. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. I had no purpose in life. I had no direction. I had no mission. I was lost. And one day, uh, I was tired of being lost, and I laid in bed in my cheap apartment, and I prayed, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I heard a voice in my head, and the voice said, minister. I said, I don't want to be a minister. And I rolled over and I went to sleep. A few weeks later, I was at a retreat with the Christian Campus Ministry of Indiana State, the Scamps House. And I was at this retreat, and this woman from Wichita, Kansas, named Doris Howard, came up to me. And Doris came up to me at the end of this retreat, and she said, what is your name? I said, my name is Sean. She said, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I've been asking myself that very same question. She said, you're going to be a minister. I went home that weekend and I enrolled at Lincoln Christian College that fall. Here I am. That's how I heard the call to go into ministry. That's the voice that I heard. It was an audible voice. I heard it in my head, said minister. Now, that's the call I received to go into ministry. Today we're going to talk about a different call, someone else who got a call into the ministry of Jesus Christ And that's the Apostle Paul. And we're going to talk about his call into ministry today. And his call, a little bit more famous than mine, uh, his call was, I don't want to say more important than mine, but his has so far had much further uh, reaching impact. He wrote half the New Testament, went on several missionary journeys, converted thousands of people and and uh, grew the church in, in huge ways. Uh, not that mine is any less important. Uh, his just had a greater impact so far. We don't know what the future holds. But uh, we're, we've been talking about the book of Acts on Sunday mornings in a sermon series called Stories We Know. And we're talking about famous stories from the book of Acts. We've talked about uh, apostles like Peter and John. We talked about the day of Pentecost. We talked about the stoning of Stephen. Last week we talked about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we're talking about these famous stories from the book of Acts. Um, And it's just fascinating to see how God God worked, how the Holy Spirit worked. And today is no different. It's a fascinating story of the conversion of Saul. The story begins, if you want to grab a Bible and turn to Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, but this story actually begins back in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, starting there in verse 1, when Stephen was being stoned, it says Saul was there giving approval to his death, and on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. That's what Saul was doing. He was, he was a Pharisee. He was uh, a devout, zealous believer in God. So devout, so zealous for, for Judaism that he would persecute uh, 
those who dared to say that Jesus was God. He was having them thrown into prison. Verse chapter 9 There in verse 1 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He is imprisoning Christians. He is persecuting the church. He is persecuting Christians for what they believe. He was so zealous for the Old Testament, for for God, for Yahweh, that there was no way that anybody else could be God. There was one God, only one God, and Jesus was not him in Saul's mind. So Saul begins to destroy the church. He is persecuting Christians. We get to chapter 9, verse 3 through 5, and the story gets very interesting. Verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Stop right there. That's the first blank on your outline in your bulletin this morning. There's a handy-dandy outline in there. And the first blank on your outline is Paul's question. Now, the reason it says says Paul's question is because Saul becomes Paul. His name changes. They're the same guy, but with vastly different worldviews. And Paul asks this question. Saul asks this question, Who are you, Lord? He knows that a voice and a light coming from heaven can only mean one thing. God is talking to him. And that is exactly what was happening. Jesus was talking to him. He was having a God encounter. That's how I look at this situation. He was having an encounter with God, the one true God, Jesus Christ. We talk about the Trinity. We talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about God the Father. We talk about God the Son, all one and the same. Um, And here we have an encounter with God the Son between Jesus and Saul. The amazing thing about this this God encounter is that he hears a voice, he sees a great light, he knows that he is encountering God. And my question for you today, for all of us today, is what kind of God encounters have you had? What kind of God encounters are you having right now? We talked in VBS this week with the young people about God sightings. Where do they see God in their world? How have they seen God? And my question I have for you today is, how have you seen God? What God encounters, what God sightings have you had? Oftentimes, we'll have God encounters when, well, when things aren't going so well. Uh, We'll we'll ask questions, just like Saul asked this question. In this God encounter, he asked this question, who are you, Lord? And I find that sometimes when we have God encounters, we ask questions too. Is there more to life? Is there any purpose? Why, Why am I suffering like this? Can I have true hope? Can I have real peace? When we have God encounters, it may be in a difficult time in life. It may be uh, when someone we love passes away. It could be a good time in life. It could be the birth of a child. That makes us start asking these big questions. It makes us start asking these important questions of life. Uh, It could be in a a particularly difficult patch uh, when we're not sure if God is going to provide for us. Uh, It could be a near-death experience. It could be life-changing surgery. It could be a miraculous occurrence. Something miraculous, or so it seems, happens to us. And we have a God encounter. And we start to ask those questions. Why? How could this have happened? Is there a God who cares for me? Is there a God who loves me? 
Is there a God who knows what I am going through? I find in the Old Testament a couple of interesting God encounters. One is Moses and the burning bush. Another is Balaam and the donkey who talked to him. There's a talking donkey in the Old Testament. Fascinating story. But these Moses and, and Balaam had God encounters. In the New Testament, we see God encounters with the disciples as they meet Jesus. The, there's Saul in this blinding light. There's Peter and a vision that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. We see God encounters all throughout Scripture where people encounter God. And I believe that people are still encountering God today. Maybe you've encountered God in the way I did, where you asked a question and you heard a voice. Maybe it's through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something. Maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is communicating through God's Word to you. God communicates to us through His Spirit. He communicates to us through His Word. He can communicate to you through other Christians, people who have been walking with God for a long time, who can hear His voice, who sense His prompting. Maybe you're having a God encounter right now. Maybe you've had a God encounter in a sermon or in another kind of message, in a Bible study, or through a song, or maybe through a movie. Maybe you've experienced God in some way. Maybe like a movie like The Passion of the Christ spoke to you in, in a very deep way, and you had a God encounter. You started to ask those important questions like Paul asked. Paul asked the question, who are you, Lord? And maybe you've had a God encounter that has made you ask those questions too. How have you encountered God what kind of God sightings have you had? And what kind of questions have those raised? The good thing about God, the wonderful thing about God, is that He doesn't just leave us hanging. He doesn't just leave us hanging on with the questions. I believe that He replies. I believe that He answers. And we're going to see how Jesus replied to Saul. Right there in, in chapter 9, verse 5, I am Jesus who, whom you are persecuting. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell him that he's persecuting the church. He says that he is persecuting him. That we are connected to Christ. You persecute my church, you persecute my family, you persecute me. I find that very interesting. But we see that Jesus does reply. That God answers Paul's question. He answers the question and says, I am Jesus. And he tells him. And I believe that Jesus does answer our questions. Again, through the Holy Spirit, through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, through other Christians, through his word. That the questions that we have, those deep questions in life, questions of purpose, questions of mission, questions of faith, questions of doubt. Those questions that we have, the, the ones that keep us up at night, those questions are answered by God. Maybe not when we want them. We may wrestle. We may ask questions for a long time. We may ask questions for days. We may ask questions for months. We may ask questions for years. How many of you have been wrestling? How many of you have been have, asking questions? Been asking questions maybe for a month, three months, a year, ten years? We ask questions. Why? Why am I going through this? Why did I have to suffer in this way? Why? We ask questions. Who are you, God? Do you really care? Do you really love me? We ask questions like, how could you forgive me? You know what I've done. You've seen what I've seen. You've, you know what I've been through. 
You know how I've questioned. You know how I've doubted. You know the sins I've committed. How could you forgive me? Could you forgive me? Do you really love me? God, do you really, really, truly love me? Will you provide for my needs? Will you take care of me when I'm struggling? Can I trust you? I think that's one of the deepest questions of our souls. Can we trust God? Can we trust Him to provide? Can we trust Him to forgive? Can we trust Him to love? There are days when we're like the little boy who runs to the edge of the pool and says, jumps off the edge of the pool and says, catch me, Dad. Father turns around as the son is in midair and says, there you go, okay. And we just have total trust in God. We have total faith. And we just jump off the edge of the pool and we're knowing that God is going to catch us. And then there are other days that we walk up to the edge and it's just the shallow end and we just say, there ain't no way. There are days when we are full of faith. There are days when we are full of doubt. And we wonder, does God really love me? Does God really care? Author Brennan Manning tells a story of uh, his friend, his best friend from growing up, Ray. And him and Ray did everything together. They, uh, they rode bikes together. They double dated together. They bought their first car together. They even enlisted in the army together. And he tells the story about how he got his name, the name Brennan. His best friend's name was Ray Brennan. And when they enlisted in the army together, they were serving together and they were in a foxhole together and Ray's eating a chocolate bar. All of a sudden, a live grenade is thrown into their foxhole. Ray looks at Brennan. He drops his chocolate bar and he throws himself on the grenade. And it killed him. When Brennan, went into, when Brennan Manning went into the priesthood, he was encouraged to take the name of a saint as his name. And so he chose the name Brennan after his friend Ray. And he remembered a time that he was sitting, he went to visit his friend Ray's mother in Brooklyn, New York. And they were sitting there together, and he asked her the question, do you think that Ray loved me? And she gets up and walks over to him and sticks a finger in his face and says, what more could he have done? Of course he loved you. And he had kind of an epiphany at that moment. And he pictured himself in heaven asking God, do you think Jesus loved me? And he says he could see Jesus' mother Mary looking at him going, of course he loved you. What more could he have done for you? You see, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, it was the ultimate expression of God's love for each and every one of us. That God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That God loved us so much that he sent his son to die. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love that he sent his son to die for our sins. This is love. We didn't love God first. God loved us first. He loved us first and sent his son to die for our sins. Can God forgive you? Can God forgive me for the things that we've done, the sins that we've committed, the many sins we've committed? Absolutely. Because of his incredible love. And he demonstrated his love. It's one thing to say you love somebody. It's one thing. To, it's another thing to show that you love somebody. It's one thing to say, hey, you know, I love you, man. 
It's another thing to demonstrate it. To put your money where your mouth is. God demonstrated His love for us. He showed His love for us. He expressed His love for us, not in words, but in action by sending His Son, Jesus. And God can and will forgive all of our sins. What more could He have done for us? So, we see Paul's question. We see Jesus' reply. The last thing we want to look at is Saul's response and then our response. You see, Saul responded by obeying. I want to read some passages from Acts 9 and Acts 22. Because in Acts chapter 22, Paul uh, re, uh, recounts uh, his conversion experience. So look at Acts chapter 9 first, verse 6. Uh, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And then over in Acts 22, verses 12 through 16, it says, a man named, Paul says, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul's response was obedience. He did what God commanded him to. He was God's faithful witness to all people. He went on missionary journeys. He took the, he took the gospel all the way to Spain. He went on missionary journeys. He told everyone he met all about Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, the rest of chapter 9 is all about him telling people about Jesus. And everybody, it was amazing this, uh, what a bad dude Saul was and how scared Christians were of him. Because as soon as he starts preaching and teaching about Jesus, everyone's wondering, is this some kind of a trick? Who, wh what happened? Who is this guy? He was throwing Christians in jail yesterday. You know, just a few days ago, he came here to arrest Christians, and now he's preaching in Jesus' name. It's got to be some kind of a trick. The people were terrified. They were scared of him. Imagine, imagine if Osama bin Laden became a Christian and then walked in here next Sunday and said, I have a word from the Lord. I, I want to preach. I want to tell people about Jesus. As soon as he walked in, long, you know, gray and salt and pepper beard, everybody would be like, hey, uh, see ya. I don't need to be around this building when it blows up. That's the kind of shocking news this was that Saul had become a Christian. He was public enemy. He was Christian enemy number one. And now, now he was Jesus' number one cheerleader, going out and telling everybody about Jesus. He obeyed. He did what Jesus commanded him to do. He went out. He told people. He was, was Jesus' witness, and he was baptized. And he went and preached and preached and preached until his dying day. So what is our response? How do we respond? How do we respond to the calling on our life? Because I believe that God has called us all. He has called us all into his service. He has called us all uh, into his kingdom. And we have two, uh, two ways that we must obey. First, we must acknowledge God. We need to acknowledge him. We need to honor him. We need to worship him as God, as the one who... Uh, controls our destiny as the one who forgives our sins, as the one who sent his son to die for us, we must acknowledge him as God. And second, we must obey him. We must do what he has commanded us to. What is God calling you to do? 
Is God calling you to become a Christian? Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you're brand new to faith and you're just learning about, about what it means to be a Christian. Is God calling you to become a Christian? Is God calling you to become a part of our church family? Is God calling you to, be, to put your membership here and, and join our church family? Is God calling you to serve him with our church family? And there's all kinds of ways that you can serve him. You can serve on a ministry team. Uh, Tony runs the outreach team. Tony's always looking for people to help come up with good ideas for outreach. You can serve uh, uh, up here um, as part of the worship team. You can sing. You can play an instrument. Even if you can't sing, you can just lip sync. Make people think you're singing. Maybe you could serve in the nursery or in the cherubs class. Or when we get our uh, kids worship going again this fall. On Sunday mornings, we have a time where the kids, after the singing, are dismissed to go downstairs for kids' worship. Maybe you could serve down there. Maybe you could serve uh, our Kids for Christ program on Thursday nights. Maybe you could serve as a youth sponsor for the teenagers. See David, always looking for good youth sponsors. There's all kinds of ways to get involved. There's all kinds of ways to serve. If you're looking around going, man, that really needs to be done. Maybe that's God's way of saying, hey, you really need to do that. I see a ministry opportunity. Well, then get involved and let's do it. The amazing thing about God's kingdom is that we're all invited. I was so proud of our church family this week with VBS because we had so many, all the blue shirts you see around you, and there were even more people who couldn't be here today, all the blue shirts of people serving God, not expecting anything in return, not expecting a pat on the back. Well, let me give you a big pat on the back because you guys were awesome this week. Absolutely awesome. And... Yeah, absolutely. What is God calling you to do, and how will you respond? What is God calling you to do? I, please hear this, because it's said in, in with all uh, seriousness, and it's said in, in love. God has not called anyone to take up space. Okay, God has not called anyone to just sit in a pew on a Sunday morning and then go about their business the rest of the week. God has called everyone into some kind of service. God has called everyone to do something for him. What is God calling you to do? You may be sitting there going, nope, God hasn't called me to do anything. I, I, I don't think that's true. I think God has called everyone to do something. That, that when you enlist in the Christian army, God's got a job for you. When you sign up, when you, put, when you get in the water, when you get baptized, God says, all right, let's do something. There is a kingdom to build. There are people to win. Maybe it's inviting your neighbors to church. Maybe it's telling somebody about Jesus, a coworker, uh, a relative. God is calling you to do something. It may take a while to figure out what it is, but just know this. God is calling you to do something. Organize a prayer chain. Do something for God. He's calling you to do something. Let's figure out what it is. There's a guy named Sky Jathani. He is the uh, edit managing editor of Leadership Journal. Uh, it's a, a journal for preachers. And he tells a story about his little two-year-old daughter, Zoe. And him and Zoe like to play hide-and-go-seek. And Zoe doesn't quite have the hang of it. She... Uh, he says that usually the way hide-and-go-seek works with Zoe is they close their eyes, they count, he counts, uh, and she goes, and rather than hiding herself, she takes his cell phone and hides it. 
The only problem is she really doesn't understand the game because she takes a cell phone and she hides it in the same place, in the middle of the stairs, out in plain sight. She doesn't understand it's supposed to hide. And so he'll open his eyes and he'll pretend to look under the table. No, Daddy, it's not there. He'll look behind the couch. It's not there. And, and finally, he'll see it on the stairs and she rolls his eyes at him and he says, there's nothing like having your intelligence questioned by a two-year-old. But see, for her, the joy in the game is not in the hiding, and it's not in the seeking, it's in the finding. When he finds his cell phone, she is full of joy. She's so excited. And with God, it's the same way. The joy for God is not in hiding. He's not hiding from us. He's not hiding from you. He delights in the finding, in being found by us. And he's out there in plain sight so that whoever may seek him will find him. He longs to be found. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. The journey of faith, the journey of faith that God calls us all to is not for those who have this humongous faith and, and who are super spiritual and who raise their hands when they sing and bow their heads when they pray and do all the religious stuff. The journey of faith begins with just a simple childlike faith that says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? What do you want me to do? Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you that you are a God who delights in being found, that you call us and you call out to us and you make yourself known, and you make yourself visible. I thank you for the way that you called Paul, and the way that you call us. And I thank you that you don't have to blind us with light, but that, Lord, you just, you're out there in the open, like a loving father waiting for us to come home. I pray that today you would help us to respond in obedience and worship to the call that you have put on our lives. That you would help us to, to find a place to get involved. And that, God, you would continue to call us out of the darkness and call us into the light of your grace. Thank you, Father, for all the blessings, for, for, for the, the truth of your word, and for all the joy that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.